0: hello welcome back to the take the cake podcast my name is kate noel and i'm really excited you're here i'm the host of this show and this is a podcast all about honest health and wellness as i said in the intro and today we have a very special guest we have mallory page mallory is a food freedom dietitian based in austin texas she helps women transform their relationship with food and body after overcoming an eating disorder herself, she started sharing tips on how others can do the same. She's on Instagram, YouTube, and she's on TikTok. She is killing it at all three of those two. We should totally give her a follow. Um, her unique approach of tackling both the mental and physical aspects that contribute to a challenging relationship with food has helped hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of women heal. When she's not working, she loves being outdoors, hanging out with her cat and dog, relatable, <laughs> and exploring Austin, uh, Texas. Which I was meant to go to Austin this past month. Well, actually, it was in February. I was meant to go. I wasn't able to go because they had a snowstorm. I mean, what? Right? Like, I could not believe that my Austin experience didn't happen because they had snow. I was like, I don't. I didn't even think it snowed in Austin. I need to get over there though. Um, but now I have a friend there, Mallory, after we interviewed, we were like, this, you're awesome. And if you ever come to LA, cause I live in LA, it's like we should hang. And if I ever go to Austin, let's hang. She's so cool. So um, I hope that y'all enjoy this episode. We talk about socializing and we talk about alcohol. Um, we, we just have a really candid conversation. And I feel like Mallory kind of goes there, if you know what I mean, which is what we love on this show. So thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this show, please give me a rating and a review. It goes so far. It means so much to me. And let me know what y'all thought of this episode. Enjoy. Okay, we have Mallory here. I'm so excited to have you my audience loves when I have dietitians on (laughs) it's just a it's just a thing I think we all need to hear from the dietitians so you're amazing I love following you I've wanted to have you on the podcast for for years which is hilarious because you didn't know
1: that (laughs) until I reached out to you but um it's been a while so I'm really happy that you're here welcome Thank you. I'm so excited to be on your podcast. I wanted to tell you this, but again, I couldn't find the right time. But when I started on YouTube, I was looking for other people on YouTube that I kind of you know, just we're in a similar space and I found your account and I literally just like loved it. And I would love going through the comments. Everyone's like, her voice is so soothing. And I'm just like, literally. So I just thought it was cool that you just said that. Cause I feel like it's been mutual that I've loved following you and seeing all the stuff that you do. So I'm so happy to be here. And I love that your audience loves dietitians. We love that.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. I love dietitians. That's amazing. Isn't it cool how the universe works in that way?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, Thank you. Yeah. The good old YouTube days. (laughs) So let me start by asking you about your story. Speaking of, give me a little, you know, rundown of how you ended up becoming a dietitian and specializing in eating disorders and food freedom. Yeah. I'd love to know more.
1: Totally. I always say that my story is kind of a funny one because of how I came to be a dietitian I was lucky because when I was younger, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a dietitian. I was, I think, a sophomore in high school. So I was pretty young when I decided that, which I feel like is a gift to kind of have this direction and path to go down. But at the same time, now when I'm looking back, it was totally for the wrong reasons because I was struggling myself. And so therefore I wanted to help other people. And also I had a totally different mindset around how I viewed health at the time because I was struggling with orthorexia that was the eating disorder that I dealt with the most and exercise obsession and so yeah as I went through high school and college I really struggled with my eating disorder all throughout my dietetics and even up until probably about my senior year I would say I really started to recover, to recover going into my senior year of college And I also think at that point, I just realized I really have to recover to be able to work in any capacity as a dietitian. And I was currently really interested in sports or at that time, I was really interested in sports. And what I realized as I was going through these different internships and working at different places is that first of all, just sports, there are so many people that are actually struggling with their relationship with food. And I was starting to realize that. And I was just thinking, okay, well, I'm actually more passionate about helping these people that have gone through what I've gone through or something similar than I am about necessarily teaching people how to be quote unquote healthier or optimize their performance and all of those different things. So once I graduated, I kind of just decided to go into that route instead of into sports. And now I live in Austin, Texas, as you were just chatting about, and I counsel people virtually in a group setting and a one-on-one setting. And of course I'm on the different social media platforms and such, but it was kind of just that long, windy road journey. But when you look back, it makes me so grateful that I experienced what I did with my eating disorder and with all the things, because I feel like it helped me to get to where I am and be passionate about what I'm passionate about and help people.
0: Hmm. I love that's like, as a coach, I love giving people that sense of hope that there is definitely a silver lining in this journey. So that's something I really love to instill and at least feel like I have hope for you at least, even though it feels like you're going through, you are going through something so transformative. So I love that.
1: Can you tell me more about your recovery? Totally. I will always say with my recovery that I would not do what I do. So learn from my mistakes because (laughs) I did not go about it the right way at all. There were some reasons why that was, but when I probably realized I had a problem wasn't until a few years into it. And there were people that had come to me when I was in high school, even in the beginning of my freshman year of college that maybe insinuated that they thought I had an issue because of some of the habits that I was engaging in. But once I got to college, I just felt like it was so easy to kind of sweep it under the rug, especially because I had orthorexia. I had a food account at the time. I just was able to make it look really normal, quote unquote. But when I got to my junior year of college, I really started to struggle, not just with the ED habits, but actually just in my life as someone that was such a strong perfectionist and like really wanted my life to look this certain way. And yet at the same time was wanting to have this optimal social life and partying really intensely and just like dealing with a lot of challenges. I started to have this really extreme problem with anxiety. I was having these debilitating panic attacks for like hours Mm. a day. And at the time still, which I think this is so funny because I am all about like looking at the holistic elements of how all these things are contributing, but I didn't think that my ED really connected to the panic attacks and all these things I was struggling with. And so I feel like the only reason that I was really forced to look at the ED and how it was affecting me and start the recovery journey is because of the fact that my body was like, you cannot do this anymore. So that's why I say, don't get to that point, obviously. Cause there were many different warning signs that I had all throughout those years and times where I'd realized it and tried and relapsed and all of that. And at that point was when I actually finally started to get support and went to a therapist and started to actually take the right steps. And for me, that looked like adding a lot of mindfulness, going through a lot of my trauma and obviously it looks different for everybody, but that was really what kickstarted my recovery journey. And then throughout those next years, like probably I would say like Let's see, probably two years where I was really in the thick of it and finally just started unlearning all of those habits and things that I thought made me who I was, my identity, and all of that. So, I also say that it can take a while, not in a non motivating way, but I so often have people come to me and be like, Oh my gosh, it's taken me like six months. And I'm like, Six months is not a long time. Like, you are doing amazing not to say that it can't happen sooner but my journey was a really really long journey from the start and even the recovery part of it but if you keep going i know that you can reach that full recovery and i truly believe that and that's what i have now by just continually going through all those little steps over the years so i never explained my recovery journey in a very linear or <laughs> well thought out way but hopefully that made sense
0: <laughs> no that made so much sense i love i love i love panic attacks i relate to this. And it's even how I coach some of my clients who struggle with panic and anxiety. It's like, that's, that's definitely related. I mean, eating disorders are based in fear and, you know, the unknown territory, and you have to really enter in to this place you've never really been before. And you have to start relating to yourself again. And that's scary. And life is amazing that it kind of there's a reason for everything. There's a reason for all of our feelings. So um, I love that. I also relate to that. And I agree. I mean, I feel like making your story right though, like the way that you did it was the way that you did it. And I feel like for me, I can look back and think, oh man, I wish I would have done this differently. Like I went to treatment a year later. Like, ooh, why didn't I go to treatment when I was really struggling? Whatever. But you know, it's like it all happened the way it happened. And I think all in all, I just learned from my experience. And it sounds like the way you talk to your clients too, is like you, we can literally only move forward. Even if you relapse, you're not going backwards. You're just being told maybe the same information again, which isn't a bad thing. Um, Obviously there are, are natural consequences to engaging in behaviors that are not pleasant, but that's something that I want to like teach all my clients to listen to instead of reacting to, which is hard in the moment. It's really hard because you feel like you're disappointed in yourself or other people, but
1: yeah, I love your story.
0: Thanks for sharing.
1: Yes. I totally agree with you. I often say that as well to my clients when they feel like they're not progressing. They so often feel like, well, this week was just the same. Like I didn't do anything different. And I always tell them that I actually think that some of the most most growth happens in weeks that maybe were a little bit challenging. And so you weren't able to push forward, but you were able to maintain rather than take steps backwards. That is such a massive win because the biggest challenges within your eating disorder journey, or just struggles with your relationship with food are when these like triggers, I don't love the word triggers, but challenges, things come up that take you back to the same pattern that we're trying to break down. And if you can get through a week where you feel like that kind of pattern or struggle or typical way that you go about things is initiated or kind of like bothered and you don't fall down that, that is such a big win. Honestly, in my mind, sometimes even bigger than those weeks where you feel like you take a lot of steps forward, but it's maybe not as many things going on. So it just, to your point, celebrating every single step, because even going backwards to a relapse, isn't going back to the beginning, going through your journey in your own way is what made you into who you are. So as I always say, you know, don't do it how I do it, but at the same time, to your point, I'm grateful that it happened the way it did, because it's what brought me exactly where I am right now. Yes. Love.
0: Amazing. So. I want to talk about, you mentioned like socializing and you have a, and it's really clear to me on social media that you really care about your social life. And so do I, something that I know so many people struggle with is food, anxiety, and social situations. So could you just tell me some advice you have on, on that, like on maybe just some specific types of people's problems that you, you know, counsel? Totally.
1: Totally. Socializing is definitely a really challenging part of recovery or even just healing your relationship with food, food, freedom, all of those things, because of the fact that any one of those is wanting to bring you into isolation because in itself, an eating disorder is something that is very self-absorbed. I wouldn't, I don't like when people say that like they're self-absorbed because it's your eating disorder that's, it's bringing you that it's not you as a person. But it's always going to want to bring you away from others. So, when you are thinking about recovering and getting into these situations, I always say that we have to take steps. And that's not just to, to say that if you're feeling motivated and you want to go out to a social event and totally immerse yourself, that you shouldn't do that, because always go with what you're feeling motivated to do. But oftentimes I'll see someone that let's just say only has been eating at home for one reason or another. And then they want to take their first step and go out to this like huge party or restaurant and have no idea what's there. And it's like, it's too much at once most of the time. And so they can leave that experience and they feel so negative towards it and almost As if they can't do it because it was so overwhelming. So that's why I always really try to tell people, how can you go from where you're at right now and take that one step forward? Can it be that you go out to eat with people you're really comfortable at, at a restaurant that you really used to like? Can it be that you have someone come over and you guys make dinner together? Can it then be that someone makes you dinner? Can you then go to a social scenario with people and bring something that you feel comfortable with? Can then you move into the next phase of going out and actually going somewhere and just having whatever is there? Obviously those are all different examples, but if you can really take those little steps instead of trying to feel like you fail, if you don't totally enjoy and have such a strong presence and good experience in a scenario that is social I think it makes it a lot easier so those are some of my that's my favorite tip obviously there's lots of little things that can go into each of those scenarios but just as an overarching goal or a way to look at it
0: mm, I really like that I like the way that you t- kind of like titrate up into this larger overarching goal of like I just want to be able to be social and be with my friends or family and eat whatever I want. Like, that's an amazing goal. And that's not a bad goal, but it's such a, there's so many nuances within that. So I really like that approach of titrating up and feeling safe and like knowing that you can survive the anxiety of every single step of the way. That's kind of how I work with tackling fear foods as well. Maybe that's a similar approach to what you do as well. Yeah.
1: Totally. Especially because as you were saying, there's nothing wrong with that as a goal, because that is the end goal. That's what we want to achieve. We want to be able to just go and totally enjoy and not worry about anything. But I like for people to be able to prove that to themselves because me and you could tell them that a hundred times that they can go and just be present and it'll be fine, but it doesn't matter what someone else tells us, maybe for like reassurance or for motivation or for making us feel comforted. But at the end of the day, the problem with these type of ideas that we have is that we feel like we typically need to prove them to ourselves. And so if we can prove to ourselves that we're okay with starting here and then build up, it feels so much more natural to go into your true goal. And then as you continue through those things, you get better and better at being present within that moment, which is very similar to fear foods and how you, as you said, tie trade up. I like that wording. I haven't heard that, but it makes it a lot more digestible and not it makes it less common to feel like you take big steps backwards as well.
0: Mm, Yeah, for sure. This might be out of like your realm or maybe you you don't, I don't know. I'm just wondering your opinion on alcohol and Mm. socializing with you know working on food freedom.
1: Yeah. I talk a lot about this because it's a very tricky topic. And obviously in school to become a dietitian, we learn all about alcohol and what it is like from a health standpoint, all of that stuff. But I feel like we don't address the role of alcohol enough in eating disorders on both sides. So there was a time in my eating disorder where I was definitely had a very restrictive mindset around it, but it wasn't for the right reason. And then there was a time where I was completely abusing it for all of the wrong reasons for numbing myself, for not feeling like I was able to be comfortable in scenarios, all of those things. And it definitely took me time to get to the middle ground, especially because alcohol is not simple. There are so many different things that are going into it, but I like to talk to my clients about the fact that alcohol can be a part of your life. If there is the right motivation behind it, but also if you fully come around to it and it's not something that you want genuinely because it doesn't make you feel good, not because you're scared of the calories or whatever else it is, then you don't have to have it. I think it's really empowering people to question the why behind their choices. And at least if someone has literally never tried it before, you can experiment and see How does this make me feel outside of the realms? What my eating disorder brain tells me is good or bad about this thing.
0: Mm -hmm. So let's say somebody is getting, you know, drinking and they're not just having one drink, you know, they're, they're getting tipsy or drunk and they're feeling they're, they're feeling like maybe their eating disorder isn't involved in that. And simply like their choices of like, wanting to eat more or I don't know, just like having some sort of change in the way they view their eating disorder. What would you say about that?
1: Yeah. Do you mean more in the sense of like, let's say they I'll just even give a similar scenario. Someone drinks and every time they drink, they end up binge eating. For example. Yes. Like
0: that, that was my experience. Like in my experience in college, I, I abused alcohol. I drink mm-hmm. a lot on the weekends and I definitely, used it to numb out, but it also was this sort of ability for me to like tap into this conversation with my eating disorder that I wasn't, I didn't have when I was just in my like normal consciousness. So I'm just wondering what your opinions are as a dietitian on that.
1: I think it's really important to add in variables within recovery and within your eating disorder process. Because I had a similar experience to where whenever I would drink, then I would allow myself these certain things or it would end up in a binge or whatever it is. And we don't want it to feel like you have to be so controlled because then if you ever have a drink or something, it's going to trigger this. And it's almost this uncovered challenge in my mind within the eating disorder. So I think that there's so much that goes into making the decision of what that looks like. But I do think it's important to be able to explore that relationship, especially if alcohol is something you may want to have casually be a part of your life. And obviously our ideal is never that that person is, as you said, abusing it or feeling like every single time it has this really negative connotation to food. But for my clients, especially since a lot of them are younger, most of them want to at least experiment with alcohol being a part of their life. And the last thing we would want is them completely abstaining from that just because of fear of binges or fear of eating certain foods, because then whenever they go into that kind of state or they're more relaxed, which this doesn't just have to be with alcohol. It can even just be that feeling of feeling more relaxed or not feeling like you're controlling everything so tightly. So it can create those problems if we haven't like really worked through that, which there's other ways to like bring that up rather than just drinking. But Mm -hmm. I still think it's one of the ones that's more accessible and that happens more often in our culture. I
0: really like that. That's like a nice reframe of, it's not actually the alcohol it's, it's actually like the fear of, of the food Mm -hmm. or the situation or the eating disorder, um, whatever it may be. So I really like that reframe. That's super helpful. Um, Okay. Well, thank you for going there. I feel like, yeah. Why is it, why isn't alcohol talked more about, I mean, I went to treatment straight up treatment and I didn't talk
1: about any alcohol stuff. I
0: was never like asked or anything.
1: I think people are so afraid to go about these topics because there's so much more involved. Obviously there's a lot of problems that can come from alcohol. And so if you say to a client, Oh, well, have you thought about adding alcohol back into your life because you took it out because of fear? And then that person has a problem with it. It feels like this liability. But sometimes I think that the liabilities and all of these things hold us back from really being able to fully serve our clients. Because if something like that is going to come up in their life, which there's literally no question that it will, if they are someone that goes out and socializes and is, of course, of age, right? then if we don't mention it, it's kind of leaving this whole door open that they then may have a whole challenge with their eating disorder relationship food come back up with. Mm -hmm. So I just think it's kind of that like cliche of it, or even the concern of saying something wrong. And yet to your point, I just feel like it's very important and we can't shy away from uncomfortable topics just because of the fact that they're kind of scary or we're worried about doing something wrong.
0: I really like you for that. I'm so, I mean, I I went to school to have my certification as like a coach, but I de- certainly did not go to school like you did with this uh I don't know, much more. I mean, I was taught like scope of practice, but it certainly mm-hmm. was not in the depths that you did and I had some classmates who were actually dietitians who did the program with me and it was really interesting hearing about their fears uh with just coaching and like going to certain, going into certain parts of people's journeys with food, and it was really eye opening, and it made me grateful to have that awareness. Um, and I definitely learned a lot. So I appreciate you for going there.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> that's a really cool experience to have. That I think that there's a lot of fear that's instilled within traditional practice formats, but at the same time, you have to have people challenge those. Otherwise, they're always going to say the same.
0: For sure. Well, thank you. Okay. The next thing I want to talk about is bloating. I love your post on just body liberation in that way. And just like letting your belly just be how it is and not manipulating it and not being ashamed of being bloated. I certainly have my own experience with bloating. I'm on the second day of my period right now. So I am just fully fully in sweatpants and I'm just, <laughs> just bloated. And I'm also just been digestive stuff, bloated, you know, all this, all the types we've experienced here. So appreciate that a lot. Can you talk more about your relationship with that?
1: Definitely. I'm literally on my first day of my period. So we are oh, like cycle sinking wow. here. <laughs> I love amazing
0: feels great
1: and I'm also in sweatpants so good I was telling um I had someone over earlier and what were we talking about we were talking about how that started I felt like I was she was like I was literally crying at a 15 second video the other day and I was like yeah I started crying this morning at like one piece of my podcast that wasn't sad so I'm not I'm not really sure it's a lot of emotions going on I was
0: crying this morning too (laughs)
1: <laughs> we're all just in it just, together. I hope someone else is listening to this and they I hope someone's blown. crying right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. And to the bloating of that, it is so hard when you're on your period and you feel that I always think this is an interesting fact with your period. And people always wonder why you're more bloated obviously it can be different stuff contributing, but when we're like, when we are on our period, we have more estrogen and these different hormones in our body. And it literally leads to more water retention. And that is the reason why we're bloated. So I just think it's interesting how normal bodily processes we so often just kind of don't want, which is such a big thing in recovery and with bloating, because something I find in recovery that is so common is first of all, people don't know that it's a common thing. So 98% of people that have a diagnosed eating disorder also have a diagnosed IBS, some type of Crohn's ulcerative colitis, something like that. They have a diagnosed digestive problem, or at least they, you know, know, or have those things. I think it's even more common that just people that struggle with their relationship with food have that problem. I could go into the whole scientific thing about it, but first we'll just stay here. Mm -hmm. But then on the other part of that, we also have people that feel like they're not used to their body being full or to digesting things. And so they think that anytime their body expands or looks a little bit different that it's bloating. And I'm very passionate about explaining the fact that not everything is bloating and it's normal for your body and your stomach to change over the day or to change after a meal, because that's how our stomachs are. And sometimes your stomach just sticks out naturally and that's okay too. So there's so many different steps of this. And obviously when you're struggling with bloating, it's really tough. When you have that feeling of pain and the cramping and just not feeling good. It's so hard, and that's something that often happens in recovery. But I also think this distinction between those different pieces is super important and not talked about enough.
0: Yes, 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 yes. I just released a digestive episode because, oh, oh, I seriously like i. I honestly think that all of my clients at the moment are struggling with digestion. That's like one of their secondary, or even primary challenges and certainly for me as well. And it's, it's again, not talked about enough in, in like traditional recovery. I don't think like, I remember Mm -hmm. in treatment, um, this one girl was like, Oh yeah, I have to get my colonoscopy. And like, the, no one even like talked about it and she was really scared. She was really worried. She had to do all this prep and it was really scary. And I remember being like, why isn't this talked about? Like why it's, so it, it, I feel like people are kind of left high and dry in recovery because also another thing I'm thinking is like now all of a sudden, I feel like in 2020, this really started, but like online, all these like anti bloating supplements came to be and like digestive enzymes just became like the thing to, to take after every meal that I ate. You know, I was just seeing these influencers saying, you know, I take digestive enzymes every time I eat anything with fat or, or this or that. And I was just like, Ooh, this is major body distrust. So <laughs> I agree with you that it's digestive symptoms to me are really like a placeholder. Like, obviously there's, there are biological reasons why. And like, there are things you can do to, 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 reduce your symptoms, but all in all, I think majority, correct me if, if you think I'm wrong, but I think like most of the time you just need to continue recovering and like continue to eat enough, continue to like tune in and listen and really like hear yourself.
1: 100%. I agree with what you said. The whole way to get out of the digestive issues is the way that Well, it's the opposite of the way that you came in. It's, it's recovering, introducing these different foods, also accepting that it's going to look different at different times because your body is just going through a lot of different things and it may respond better to certain foods and not as well to other foods. So often people take out these foods that they convince themselves are food intolerances either because they want them to be, or because they've taken some inaccurate food intolerant tests because none of them are accurate. They're (laughs) the worst. And then they'll kind of feel afraid when they reintroduce these things and their body has a reaction how could your body not have a reaction to something that you've literally taken out for years or for a long amount of time? Not that it always has to, but you just have to really think about the fact that a lot of these things are happening naturally. Our gut microbiome adjust to the things that we eat and what we do and how often we eat and all of that different stuff. So there's nothing better than just continuing forward, but also to your point with the digestive enzymes, digestive enzymes or peppermint teas or well, peppermint tea, you can drink every day if you want, but like all of these other different things that are meant to help your gut health are not meant to be crutches that we have to use every single day. Digestive enzymes are, if you feel like, okay, you know, maybe this was a meal that just isn't digesting super well. And I'm just going to take these to help support my digestive system. Because I'm out at dinner, or because it just is helpful at this point in time. It should not be something we're taking after every meal. I forgot about that phase. So that just unlocked a whole new mm. 2020 memory for me. <laughs> I know. It's it's wild. I know. I I was, I think like
0: for me, it was my I used to see like a naturopathic doctor, um, and they gave me um hydrochloric acid and digestive enzymes, and it just my eating disorder really latched on to like the habit of taking supplements and over supplementing and so mm-hmm. i'm really passionate about actually viewing supplements as like are they actually supportive to you or are you like asking your body to do more because yeah. in reality you have to taking any supplement like your body has to process that supplement so if your body is already struggling with baseline processing what you're just eating or processing your emotions or processing anything that you're going through. And you saying, okay, body, now I need you to digest this too. And like, it's kind of a lot. Mm -hmm. So I'm passionate about that.
1: Yes, definitely. I think that that happens a lot. I had one of my, it was my first group coaching. I think half of them came in or developed either their ED or worse ED symptoms or just relationships with food because of the fact that they had gut health issues. And I find that a lot of the time they work together. So maybe you have gut health issues, you try to solve it. It develops into more of kind of disordered habits, or you have disordered habits and then you start having gut health issues. And so they become more disordered and you're afraid, and you can kind of use the digestive issues as a cover-up for deeper problems. I see this a lot. I did this myself, so I know that it can happen. <laughs> and I think it's a lot more rampant than people even know.
0: So mm-hmm. let's say you have a client come in who's like, I have digestive problems, but I also have an eating disorder. I'm in recovery or I have food fears or whatever. What What would you say to somebody who was like, which one should I do first?
1: <laughs> I wish I had a count for how many times I've had this exact situation. (laughs) (laughs) And every single time I go back to the same thing, you always have to do the recovery first because anything else you try to do. So I like to think about eating disorder as something that is kind of at the surface of our challenges because eating disorders develop because of something else that we're not dealing with. So for example, mine developed because of the fact that some of the traumas I went through when I was younger, also just kind of struggling some with my upbringing and some of the things I went through, I wanted control. I developed an eating disorder, right? Perfectionist tendencies really took it to the extreme. And so when I kind of think about that, the eating disorder was actually the first layer that I had to take off. And then I just had to start dealing with these other things that contributed to it. Now, again, if you're with a really good coach or dietitian or therapist, they're going to help you do that at the same time. So it's a lot more streamlined, but when you bring that back to what we're talking about with bloating, you kind of have to remove that first layer of the eating disorder. I feel like to even be able to actually discover what could be going on with your digestive issues. Otherwise it's, otherwise it's like you're taking a dart and trying to throw it at a board that you can't see in the dark, because if you, remove a certain food and you're like, Oh, this is going better. But the only reason why you removed it is because you didn't think it was healthy. And then you try to add it back in and you're anxious about it. And then it has a reaction. You think, Oh, I can't have that food, but maybe you were just anxious that day because of your eating disorder thoughts. So I could go on a whole thing about this because I think there's so much that goes into it, but to answer your question, yes, I will always say to go through the ED first. Now, of course, I think the best case scenario would be also to go get testing to just make sure that there's not something really serious going on. You know, if you have an actual diagnosed challenge, IBS is diagnosed, but I think IBS and EDs are very closely tied. So, you know, we're looking for like a Crohn's ulcerative colitis, something else is going on in your digestive system. But at the short answer, I already kind of gave my thoughts. People don't often like it, but I think it's true. (laughs) The
0: eating disorder latches on to whatever it can because Mm -hmm. it doesn't have any real sustainable validation. So it bops around and does and holds on to whatever it can. So it makes a lot of sense. And that same with me, with my bloating and my quote food intolerances, like it was such a cycle of stress and anxiety. And I think I'm taught if if you're listening and you resonate with this, I'm talking to you. Your eating disorder will, like, will take hold of your digestive problems first, even if you think it doesn't. Even if you're like, I'm so sure that this is dairy is making me feel sick. Like, you can't actually know until you enter into like true recovery, where you feel like you're able to at least be open to the idea and like be in a relaxation response while eating it. And if you are in recovery, that's something that you have to work on first. So I really like that. I basically just repeated what you said.
1: (laughs) No, you didn't. It sounded wonderful. And this is actually something really interesting that's happened to me. So obviously there were lots of different things that I took out in my eating disorder. I won't go into them, but something that I will mention is that even as I came out of my eating disorder and I was really in recovery. And even when I was recovered, like truly fully recovered for a while, I still struggled with dairy and I just kept implementing it and reintroducing it because I thought to myself, I've taken this out for, I took it out for so long that how can I adequately say by just trying it for a year that I really know if my body doesn't work well with it. And so I just kept trying it. And it's really interesting because there are like very specific things like that do bother me sometimes, but overall it's not something that I have a digestive reaction to. I used to think that it affected my skin. I don't find that it affects my skin that much. And so it just goes to show that you can't just give things one try and then say, okay, it doesn't work. Obviously I'm not advocating for continuously putting yourself through something that isn't feeling good, but I just think it's interesting because something that was my goal when I was recovered is like, I want to be able to eat anything I want. I don't want to be having to have these different intolerances. Of course, if I had a celiac or something diagnosed, you can't go around those things, but it's just a very cool feeling when you can see how your body can really adapt over time one way or the other.
0: I love that. Same with my reintroduction of dairy. Actually, I, I immediately was like, no, 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 this is not going to work. This is not going to work. And I think like, I just had this in reactive fear response with any sort of symptoms and it did take consistency and mindfulness. And I feel, I feel lucky because I was able to reintroduce it in a way where that that was sustainable for me. And I'm Mm -hmm. glad that you did too. I love dairy. <laughs> <laughs> no, me too. Uh, yeah. So, but at the same time, to your point, like, I actually don't think there's anything innately wrong with like self experimenting with food mm-hmm. um, intolerances, or there's nothing like innately wrong with being like, yeah, I'm a little bit sensitive to soft cheeses and yogurt, but like, you know what I mean? There's not, there's nothing bad with that. It doesn't even have to just be dairy. It can be any food group. Yes. But I think like I mentioned, like you mentioned, the self-experimenting can't happen. It can't coincide with with your eating disorder. Like that's something that has to be cleared up. and then and then, down the road, once you have a fresh perspective and once you're in your recovery, once you you know you're in a place where you feel strong, I think it's super valuable to have body literacy and be able to self-experiment. And the reality is our bodies change throughout our entire lives. So maybe, like, you know, I have clients who, they used to not be able to digest something and now they are or vice versa. Mm -hmm. And it's just like really about tuning in. So I'm not even personally against any sort of anyone who says, I don't prefer to eat this, or I don't prefer to eat that. It's just about your intention, um, which I'm sure you, I'm sure you, yeah, yeah. you, You agree with too. So totally. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's like a lot of people can't digest salads. Well, and are you going to judge someone because they can't digest? No, like it, it can go either way. You just have to have the flexibility with what works for you, which is really important. It's just to make sure that eating disorder voice isn't attached to that thing.
0: Yeah. <laughs> can you imagine a world where we all stop judging our friends and people <laughs> for what we eat? AKA no one uh, has eating disorders. <laughs> yeah, I know. I hope so. One day. <laughs> um. Amazing. I think I have to have you back on to talk more about gentle nutrition because we're out of time. Um, But thank you so much for sharing
1: your journey
0: and for being here. Um, Where can my audience find you? Can you give all your stuff and anything you're up to?
1: Totally. Yes. So you can find me at Mallory J. Page on anything. It's, I always say it's two L's and a Y because then people will ask me. And then my last name doesn't have an I in it. So I have all the confusing names selling, but you know, you'll, you'll find me. I'm sure if you're, mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're hoping to, mm-hmm. and that's on YouTube, on Instagram, TikTok, all those different good things. And then I have different offerings that you can be supported with, whether you have kind of want that one-on-one coaching a group coaching, or even just buying into like a a guide or something that can support you on your journey. So I'm always happy to chat about those things. If you have questions, feel free to shoot me a DM. I'm always happy to support someone on their journey, whether they're just struggling with their relationship with food, going through their recovery or whatever that looks like for them.
0: Mm, Thank you. A huge, huge, motivator to follow Mallory. She's amazing. I just love all your posts. They make me feel good. Like oh, you really make me nice. feel good. So thank <laughs> you, you make me feel good as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so nice to like, I don't know, there's just I, I feel like I'm really proud of my own um feed right now, like who I'm following and like the it kind of can take a while to feel that way. But once you feel like happy with who you're following and and everything, it just makes social media such a different experience.
1: I know I need to do another follower cleanse here. I should soon. probably
0: too, actually. Like yeah. I'm, I'm happy, but there are a few people where I'm like,
1: why, I don't know why. I don't know why. Yeah. I had to do oh, one yeah. this morning because I'm just like, they came back and they're like, oh, I'm in my eating disorder, but I'm going to start taking in clients. And I was like, I'm confused by that. Oh, <laughs> I'm confused. That's a whole different conversation. <laughs> I don't need to bring that up at the end, but I'm like, I'm going to have to distance myself so I don't feel upset.
0: <laughs> we love, we love some healthy boundaries and, yeah. um, I love that.
1: Okay. Well, thank you so much. Yes, thank you for <laughs> having me. Yay.